Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, and then we're going to get into chapter 5. Now, just to give you an idea of the pace at which we're going, today is Acts part 8. But, but Rusty, we're in chapter what? We're in chapter 4, and we, we're going to get into chapter 5. So we are moving at a snail's pace through the book of Acts, but that's okay, isn't it? Yeah. That's okay, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm just teaching you guys the Bible. How many of y'all, how many of y'all love the Bible? How many of y'all, like, honest, nine of you? Okay, that's not bad. All right. How many of y'all love the Bible? I know you do because you're here. And, and you want to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God. Okay. Let me, let me help you just for a second. My job, one of my jobs is uh, to really to stand between God and you and to be able to deliver the Word in a way that's understandable, in a way that's clear and applicable. Okay. And so, uh, obviously, I don't want you to rely on me, but I am one of the means. I'm your shepherd, so I want to do a good job of shepherding you with the Word of God. Will y'all let me do that? I'm going to shepherd you with the Word of God today, and there's a passage that I'm going to preach today that, trust me, uh, when I approached this text, I looked at what was coming, I peeked ahead to see what was coming. This is not a text I would normally go to. As a matter of fact, this is one that I would naturally want to skip, okay? But how many of y'all know, I can't skip these things. If by skipping them, well, I lose credibility, because you're going to think over time, well, I just preach the passages that are easy to preach. Now, if you've been coming here for any length of time, I preach to the whole book of Revelation, okay? So I think most of you get that I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach the Word, but especially today, we're going to look at a passage that it's, it's hard, it's difficult, but um, before we get there, let me just talk about the Bible for just a few minutes. Uh, once again, how many of y'all love the Word of God, the Bible? And really, it's a, it's a book, isn't it? It's a book. Y'all are much more lively than the first service, y'all. The first service just stared at me the whole time, like to get anything out of it. So the Bible, the Bible was, uh, of course, it was written by man, inspired by God. And it's really a book with books within, 66 in total. And so when you look at the Bible and you look at the influence that it's had over the course of time, y'all, it's enormous, isn't it? The Bible is, first of all, one of the most scrutinized books or collection of books that's ever been produced. It's one of the most scrutinized. But it's also the most cherished, I would say, over the course of time because not millions, but billions of Christians have cherished the Word of God, have read it, have studied it, and many have given their life to living the Word. Okay, and So when we talk about the Bible, really we're talking about God's, God's Word to us, that, let me just break it down simply, it tells us where we came from, it tells us where we're going, and it shows us how to live along the way. Simple enough, right? I mean, there's way more to say, but it, it tells us where we what? Where we came from, and it tells us where we're, and it tells us how to live along the, and it does tell us that the best is yet to come, right? Doesn't it? it yeah, God created the world good. Sin came, it became bad, but God's going to make it all good again. So you have that to look forward to, no matter how bad your life is or how bad the world is, in the end, God's going to have the final say. So we don't get overly upset about what's on the front page because we've read the last pages of the Bible that tells us that Jesus wins in history, and if you're a believer, you win with him. Okay, I'm done. I'm going home. No, I'm not. Um, there's more to it, right? But, but that, that's basically the gist 
of the story. But if you read through the Bible long enough, I think you're going to come to this conclusion that, well, the Bible contains some sketchy stuff. Now, some of y'all are afraid to respond. You're like, is that like sacrilegious? Like, what do I say to that? It contains some sketchy stuff. And what I mean by that, to be clear, is that, well, it has many stories uh, that involve, well, violence, uh, rape, adultery, polygamy. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Not from experience, but from the Bible. Uh, I love what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain uh, and it said it only the way he could say it. He said, that he, said it, he said, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. <laughs> you know, anybody, anybody identify with that? It's like, oh gosh, is that really there? I get that, I get that and that disturbs me. Well, when, when you read the Bible, what, what you will find is that, well, really, the Bible is it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a full mirror. It's like a full-length mirror that, that shows us, doesn't it? The good, the bad, and the Yes, I, I, I've heard atheists say, well, I, you know, I would, never, I, don't, I would never read the Bible, you know, regularly or for really any real reason. Because, I mean, it's full of, you know, violence and sex and all this awful stuff. And I'm like, well, that doesn't stop you from watching your Netflix shows. Right? But I hear people say that, but yes, it's true that the Bible is filled with awful stories of awful things that people did. But how many of y'all know? The Bible is really a full-length mirror, and it provides all these awful stories because, well, those awful stories really are stories, aren't they? It provides a picture of people who are just like us, like imperfect, like with all kinds of problems. Like a lot of the Bible focuses on that. But how many of y'all know in the midst of that, you got fallen, messed up people, but the, the central character of the Bible is God himself acting in time and space to transform us and to conform us to the image of Jesus, his son. Okay. So you got all the jacked up stories within it, but that's our story. But in that story, God comes down and when God comes down, he makes all things new and he transforms us. Can I get a witness today? You've been transformed. So we see the incredible good news of the gospel of God's word to us in the Bible. But we see the good, we see the bad, we see the ugly. And uh, well, it's, it's kind of like this. Um, l- l- let me describe it in, in these terms. So uh, ladies, um, many of you, you like to get together every now and then with your girlfriends. Okay? I've seen some of this on Facebook. Like some of y'all, you get together, you go out to dinner, and then you, you, get, you, know, you have a good dinner, you eat, you laugh. And talk about how much you love your husbands, right, ladies? Yeah. And then, yeah, when you, once you're done, what do you do? What do you do? Well, you get together in a little group, don't you? And you go outside. You ask your waiter or waitress to take a... To take a what? Like, ladies, y'all do that? Like, okay. Yeah, I think you do. You get a, you get a group what? A group picture. Because you want to post it and let everybody know the good time you had together. And, and here, here, here's what you do. Correct me if I'm wrong, but here's what you do. Somebody snaps that picture. Y'all get all right and tight. And, okay, get in. Like, pack in. Pack in. Picture's taken. Once the picture's taken, what happens? You run over, get the phone. And what's the first thing you look at? <laughs> Not the other girls. I mean, they can be looking up in outer space, eyes closed. Y'all look great. You're looking at yourself, right? You want to see if it was the right angle. Because, I mean, you got to have the right light. Is this true, ladies? The angle can't be too low, can't be too high. It's got to be just right. Is that true? My wife can preach a whole message on this. Yeah. And so you get together, and guys, you, you do it too. Uh, 
in some ways, you know, you're with your bride, you get the picture snapped and you want to make sure it's all right. But ladies, I'm, I'm, not, trying, I'm not trying to pick on you, but you do this. You, you save the picture. Hey, send that to me. You save it. You don't post it just yet, do you? Because before you post it, what do you do? You've got to put a what on it? A what? Talk to me. A filter. Y'all know what the filter is? It's that, it's that thing on your phone when you hit edit that makes you look about 20 years younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ladies, I'm not saying you need it, but apparently some of you do. So you put the filter on and it shaves off the years and makes you look even prettier. Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's the filter. The filter filters out the blemishes. Now, ladies, I don't think y'all have any. I'm trying to build some, help me a little bit here. <laughs> y'all don't have any. You think you do. The filter, the filter removes the blemishes and the filter removes those things you don't want other people to see. You want to be as beautiful as possible. I'm telling you this, I'm giving you this simple analogy because, listen, when it comes to our lives, I think all of us want to filter our blemishes and our defects and we, we don't want people to, to see the real us. We don't want people, because if people know us and see the real us, maybe, maybe they won't accept us or maybe they won't receive us. But here's what you need to know about the Bible. The Bible provides an unfiltered picture of us. Who we are, what we are, and the Bible holds nothing back. It's like God saying, here is the picture of who you really are. And how many of y'all are thankful God tells us the truth? Some people look at your pictures and say, you look awesome. They're lying through their teeth. But God, God says, you're made in my image and I love you. But here's the full picture of who you are. And how many of y'all know in the Bible, I'm, I'm, I'm working this hard so y'all get it. The Bible not only tells us exactly who we are, it also provides an unfiltered picture of who God is. And what I mean by that, God has no flaws. There are no defects in God. But some people want to put a filter on God to make him look a certain way, to make him more palatable and easier for people to swallow. But how many of y'all know we got to receive God for who he is, not who we want him to be? Amen. Am I preaching good to y'all? Y'all getting that? And so, so, so what we see in particular, you say, what does that have to do with Acts? Everything. Because in the book of Acts, Luke provides a very accurate, brutally honest, unfiltered picture of the early church. He doesn't hold anything back. He tells us the good. He tells us the bad. And he tells us the ugly. That's right. And just to review a little bit, for, for the last season here, we've been in the first really four chapters, gone through chapter one, all the way to where we are, to chapter four. And up to this point, here's the picture of the church that Luke provides. And really, y'all, if you, if you read the first four chapters, like you don't need to put a filter on it because it's all good. Have y'all read Acts and seen the first four chapters? It's like, whoa, like every chapter, every verse, like something good is happening. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? If you've been here, you know, because I've been preaching it. If you go back to Acts 1, just start there. I mean, the church from the very beginning, come on, they were devoted to prayer. How many of y'all know if we want to see God move, we got to be devoted to prayer? How many of y'all know if we pray to heaven, heaven will move and God will come down and he will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
But we see the early church was devoted to prayer. Let me just give you a sample here. The church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, that is the word, to the breaking of bread. They liked to eat and they took communion together. They were devoted to prayer. The early church was filled, not just with food, come on Cajuns, but with the Spirit of God. They were filled with the power of God. We see in Acts 2, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Power came down and their lives were transformed. We saw in weeks past that Peter and John went out with the name of Jesus and through the power of the name of Jesus, the man who was lame, who had been uh, 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 sitting for, for many, many years, went from sitting to standing to walking to leaping and finally praising God because he received full healing. How many of y'all know you'd be doing the same thing? If you've been sitting for 40 years, you'd be leaping and praising God. And that's what we see. It's like it's just a big celebration. Like, like man, the Holy Spirit poured out and then you know, a sign of wonder takes place. Luke goes on to tell us that, that thousands of people got saved within a very short amount of time. Probably about 10,000 in the first couple weeks. Now, like, that's some pretty impressive church growth, huh? So up to, up to this point, thumbs up, right? Great picture. Are y'all tracking? One more thing. Last week we talked about Peter and John. We talked about their boldness. Y'all remember how they went out preaching the word? They got arrested. Remember, they ticked the Sadducees off and they got arrested. And do you remember that Peter and John, they stood before the Sanhedrin, the highest religious authorities or council in the land. And basically the sum of it was that Peter and John said, listen, we cannot help but to speak about what we've seen and heard. In other words, you, you want to throw us in jail? Okay, do whatever you got to do, but you can't stop us because we can't help ourselves. How many of y'all know when God changes your life, you cannot help but to speak about what you've seen and what you've heard? Are y'all with me? Like it's not so, like a heavy command. Like it's just you can't help yourself, right? Because you know if God's done it in your life, why would you hold that back from somebody else? If you can do it in you, you can do it in them. So, so the logic is clear. We see... Chapters 1 through 4, it's like, boom, the church is cooking with some gas. And so we see Peter and John saying, listen, we're going to keep on doing what we do. That's my paraphrase. We can't help, we can't help this. But watch this. Y'all with me? Are y'all with me? After Peter and John were released, they go and they tell the other believers what happened. <laughs> what happened? Well, they were thrown in jail. They stood before the highest council. They were threatened, basically. They went, told the other, like basically the church, what had happened. Now, you would think that everyone would have been afraid. Like, whoosh, glad y'all got uh, released, but let's just, let's cool off for a little while. You know, let's, let's, just go, let's just go chill for a bit. We don't want to stir up the Jewish leaders. We don't want to stir up the Romans too much. Let's, let's just chill for a little bit. You know, and, and that, that would have been understandable to, to an extent. But I want to read to you as I just build this profile of the good picture, the good news of the early church. Let me read just a little bit to you about how the believers prayed and how they responded after Peter and John told them what had taken place. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. Y'all ready? You ready? Say ready. For truly, here's how they prayed. Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, God, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever, everybody say whatever. whatever. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was what? How many of y'all know we pray those types of prayers? God will shake our church and our community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to what? Speak the word of God with what? Okay, let me paraphrase here. Basically, Lord, okay, thank you for that miracle. Keep on doing that. Like what you just did, would you do that again? And then after you're done, would you do that again? And then again and again and again. Even if it causes us trouble, even if it, if it invites opposition from the world, Lord, would you stretch out your hand? I know the rulers of this world are stretching out theirs, but your hand, God, is stronger. Would you stretch forth your hand? Would you deliver? Would you deliver people from the strong man, from the enemy of this world? Would you set them free? And Lord, by the way, it's my paraphrase. Lord, don't worry because we're ready for whatever comes. Keep on doing what you do. We are bold and we are ready because we are committed to you. Something like that, okay? That's their heart, at least, that those weren't their words. Stretch out your hand, God. Continue to do what you have been doing. Don't stop. I mean, y'all know we need to pray that way. Like we, we get settled in with, Lord, thank you for what you did. And we should thank him for what he did. But how many of y'all know it's not just about what he did. It's about what he wants to do. It's about what he will do. As we call upon his name, see him move. Are y'all with me today? Lord, have mercy. God is going to show up in power and do miracles in our midst if we'll think this way and pray this way. And he probably will even if we don't. But how many of y'all know he wants us to participate in this with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, God, God, if he waited forever for us to move, he'd be waiting forever. So how many of y'all know he has to move us and he moves us to pray his words and our words because they're his words move him. Yeah, that's what happens. So look at this. It gets even better. I mean, like you read this and like the early church was on fire. We could just stop right there, but let's keep reading. Look at verse 32. It gets even better. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Wow. That's a miracle today, huh? Just that. Unity. Look at this. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in what? In common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, oh, I love this. And great grace was upon them all. Let me just speak to y'all. May great grace be upon you all. How, how many of y'all know we, we have some great troubles and great problems, but there is great grace for every problem that you'll ever face. May great grace be upon you all. There was great grace upon them. Verse 34, I love this. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Pretty good stuff, huh? Verse 36 Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, are y'all getting the picture? The picture. Like, the early church up to this point was, check it out. They were prayerful. They were powerful. They were bold. And according to what we just read, they were unified and very, very generous. Pretty cool, huh? 
they were of one heart, one soul, willing to share with one another so that there were no real needs that remained. Now, what I want you to see is that God, at this point, didn't command them to sell their possessions. Instead, they were compelled to because I think they understood what God had done in their hearts. How many of you all know God is a generous God? Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, to be imitators of God. Okay, we can say a lot about that, but at the very least, John says in John 3.16, for God so loved the, that he... Yeah, I think like that, that got in them. And like they didn't need a tutorial. Uh, they didn't need a teaching session. They didn't need an all-day Saturday intensive to get their, their minds and hearts right on what it meant to give. No, God had done such a great thing in them. There was great grace upon them that they sold their possessions and gave the proceeds, not because they were commanded to, but because they were compelled to. Isn't that awesome? They gave. They gave. They gave. And they gave, I believe, cheerfully. And I know they gave generously. How many of y'all know God loves a cheerful giver? Now, some of y'all didn't say amen because I said that, and you think I'm going to start preaching on the tithe. I'm not right now. I will at some point. I'll talk about generosity. But let me just say this. How many of y'all know biblically and experientially, if you sow generously, you will reap? That's right. If you sow sparingly, you will reap? Okay. So I think the principle is just this. Here, This is how I live. Lord, I'm not going to get locked into what the reaping is going to look like, whether it's in the form of money or this or that. All I know is, Lord, when you speak, you never lie. You always tell the truth. Your promises always stand true. So as long as I sow generously, I will somehow, some way reap what? Okay, how many of y'all know if God's pouring out the blessing, all we need to do is just show up and just be open to whatever that is? If it's financial, praise God. Yes. Yes. Amen. Come on. Okay, if y'all don't like the money, you can give it all away. We'll take it. Listen. But it's not about money, is it? It's about having a generous what? Because we're to be imitators of? And for God so loved the world that he... Y'all are the smartest service for sure. Y'all are, boy, y'all are tracking it. This is good. feels good. But listen to me. God loves a cheerful what? But he will take from a grouch. You can write that one down. Yeah. But, but here, here's what I want you to see. Because the church was so generous, there were no needs. Now, that'd be really awesome for me to get up and stand up before you and say, because of your generosity, you know, we talk about, you know, because of your generosity, you know, our screens are fixed. Like, praise God. Yeah, somebody like that. We had our one pitiful screen for a while. Um, I can say, because of your generosity, you know, we got a new parking lot. And, oh, that's fine. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for your generosity. But think about what it'd be like if we were all so generous toward one another that I could honestly get up and say that there is no need that remains in our body because they've all been met because of your generosity. Now, notice, I didn't say you're every want. <laughs> Lord, I'm thinking about an upgrade. I, I need a platinum F, whatever, 250, 150. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about not every want, but every need. Okay, y'all are some of the, I, mean, I went to a house the other day that we're, we're fixing up, like the Midtown men were like everywhere, like ants, all up in this house, laboring, giving their time and their resources. How many of y'all know, like we don't need to toot our horn, but like as a pastor, it makes me super proud of y'all when I see you in one another's lives, lifting burdens, helping one another. How many of y'all know that's a sign and a wonder to the world? Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. How? By the great you know, sign that you pay for on the street, right? In front of the church. 
He, he said, all men will know that you're my disciples. How? By your love. The love that you have for one another. Y'all, this is a sign. This is a wonder to the world. Are y'all with me today? And so here's what I want you to see very clearly. The believers sold lands and they sold homes and got the proceeds, took the proceeds to the apostles, brought them there and laid all of the proceeds at the apostles' feet, which meant that they trusted the apostles. Okay, so as we look at this, okay, I had to say all that, all of that to get you here. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody say, but. Yeah. Are y'all ready for this? I feel like I need to sit down. Okay, give me a second here. Okay, so everybody say, but. So Luke provides this incredible unfiltered picture of the early church. No filter needed, right? Acts 1 through 4. Y'all see any need for a filter? I don't see one. Luke goes on to, well, well, continues to be honest, I'll say. He's been honest up to this point. Up to this point, we've seen that the church was on fire. The church was prayerful, powerful, bold, and generous. Okay? So far, so good. Their feet were moving. Their hearts were feeling, their eyes were seeing the needs, and their hands were reaching to meet the needs. So far, so good, right? But, everybody say but one more time, but. It's this transitional word here, but in Acts 5, remember Luke, who wrote this document, was a physician. Luke, he he pulls out, so to speak, an (laughs) x-ray to show the sin Within the body. So you got this picture. It looks good on the outside. No filter needed. Right? But Luke's real careful. It's like he said, oh, oh, oh. but. I know I've shared all this good stuff, but. Hold on. There's more to come. <laughs> and, and here in Acts 5, the way we have this ordered with the verse. The verses, by the way, chapter divisions were added way, way later. Okay. But as Luke continues, but, but in English, but here's what I want you to see. And and Luke provides this x-ray and shows a cancerous tumor in the church. He talks about what lies below the surface. Now as a preacher, I promise you, what I'm about to read and preach on Again, if it were up to my natural, sinful, unbelieving Pastor Scott Hart, I would never preach this passage because, well, I want everybody to like me and think well of me, and I don't want you to leave and, and think any ill thoughts of me. That, that's the, and I still don't, even in the spirit, but y'all understand, I want, I want to please you, and I want, to, I want everybody to feel good, and are, are y'all with me? This is not a passage I would naturally choose if I were trying to just encourage you, okay? So... I want to read this, and then I'm going to do my best to unpack it. And we'll be done in a couple hours. Check it out. <laughs> I'm teasing new, new, new people. Uh, listen, listen to what Luke says in 5.1. Five, five but, everybody say, but, one more time, but. But don't, don't for, circle that word. Maybe it says and in your translation, but it's transitional. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only uh, What? a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, 
Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to whom? But to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down. That's not Pentecostal falling down, by the way. He fell down and breathed his last. You know what that means? That's yeah, a euphemism. And the way in the, we spell it in Tennessee is he died or he was dead. D-E-D is the way they spell it in Tennessee. <laughs> he died. Lord have mercy. Look at this. And great what? Fear came upon all who heard it. I guess so, huh? The young men rose, wrapped him, and carried him out, and then did what? Now, talking about a heavy way to end a church service. And we're not done. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. She'd been out. She'd been out shopping. <laughs> I'm, I'm being silly. Not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yeah, yeah, for so much. Mm-hmm. For that, mm-hmm. For that much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together? To test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. I would have been like, don't you have anything encouraging to say? Like, is that it? Mm-hmm. Verse 10, immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her Last, when the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, once again, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Well, that's heavy, huh? What a wild story. Now, I hear Christians say all the time, well, I want the church Today, to look like the church in the book of Acts. That's what we need. Are you sure about that? Have you read the whole book of Acts? Have you gotten out of the first four chapters of Acts? Because how many of y'all know that? Sometimes we treat the word of God like a cafeteria line. I'll take some of that. Give me that. But oh, Hold that. Uh-uh. But oh, let's take some of that. How many of y'all know we have the tendency to do that? We got to get back to the early church model. The book of Acts is not just about the acts of the apostles. The book of Acts is about the acts of God Almighty among the apostles and the early church. And we see acts of salvation. How many of y'all are thankful that that's there? Yeah, because it's a model for us. But we also see acts of judgment. Now, where else can you go but Midtown to hear <laughs> that you can fall dead if you lie to God? Okay? It's a bonus material here at Midtown. But this is the, I, would, I mean, nothing in me would naturally choose this. But y'all see, when you, when you preach books of the Bible, 
Like you got, like if I had skipped this and you come back and like I said, okay, open Acts chapter 7 and I missed chapter 5, you'd be like, what happened? Okay. How many of y'all know God tells us the truth? The whole truth and nothing but the truth. How many of y'all know Luke, inspired by God, provides an unfiltered account of the early church? And it's not just for them. This is for us because experience can be one of the greatest teachers in life, but it doesn't have to be yours. You see? So we have to lean in and say, God, okay, oh, that's a hard story. What are you saying to me from this? Because I promise you, he's saying a lot. But what was their big crime? I mean, why would God strike them dead? Probably died of a heart attack. Overcome with conviction. What was the big crime? Well, the crime is this. They sold property, got the proceeds. Nothing wrong there, right? All good so far? Sold the property, got the proceeds. And then they stepped forward and they, they, well, pretended like they had given all, but when in fact they had only given part. They had only given some. Now, hold on. Maybe you're thinking, oh, Lord have mercy. You're checking your heart, your pulse. Because maybe you made a pledge to OSC or another church or to charity, and maybe you're now remembering, oh, oh, gosh, I didn't come through. Don't fall under any condemnation for that, okay? There are people who, in their minds, they want to give a certain amount, and, and we got to do our best to, when we pledge, we have to do our best to come through. That's integrity. It is, okay? But at the last minute, life happens, things happen, and then all of a sudden, you know, something happened in your life, and you couldn't come through with the full amount, Okay? That is not what this is teaching, okay? This is not teaching what I've just described. Here, the issue, it's not even really about money. Now, I listen to a couple of other pastors preach on this, and all of a sudden, they got into the tithe. And I'm like, this is not about the tithe. Ultimately, this isn't even about money. This is not about what's on the surface. This is about something more important. This is about what lies below the surface. This passage is all about the heart. Are y'all with me? It's really all about the heart. And so to get to the heart of the matter, it's this. That Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look generous, but they didn't want to pay the price to actually be generous. They were pretending to be something that they were not. They were hypocrites. Play acting. They saw Barnabas and others give. So in order to fit in and look generous, they stepped forward and it looked like they had done the same thing. But how many of y'all know God sees all things? And, and Peter is inspired by the Spirit to confront them and basically say, you guys have lied to God and to man. You're putting on a show. A hypocritical show. It's been said that one of the greatest causes of atheism involves Christians who profess him, Jesus, with their lips, but deny him with their lifestyle. You act like you've given it all, but you've really only given some. And God saw the whole thing. They pretended to be one thing, but they were something else. How many of y'all know it's all about the heart? And getting to the heart of the matter. Say, Pastor Scott, okay. Ooh, that's heavy. Okay, but 
I don't think I've done that. I haven't sold any land. Pretended like I gave it all, but really I gave part. I don't think I've done that. So, like you're reading this passage, how, how does this apply to us? I'm glad you asked. It's the question I ask myself. Or there's something in this text you want to say to me. There's something you want to say to all of us. And here, for starters, is what I think that is. Pastor Scott, what does the story of Ananias and Sapphira have to do with me? Answer, quite possibly, everything. Why? Because the crime here is this. It involves pretending, perhaps for you, pretending like you have given all of your life to God on Sunday, but in reality, you have only given him some of it. And not just on Sunday, but in any gathering, maybe in your discipleship group or just before people, it's the hypocrisy of living like on, in that moment, acting like you have gone all in for God, that you've given him everything, that you've surrendered to him, that you are under his lordship and you are living according to his will. It's giving that impression like you've given it all on Sunday, but in fact, when you go through the rest of the week, you'll soon discover that you haven't given him all, you've only given him part. How many of you know, God doesn't just want your Sunday. He wants your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday and your Thursday. He doesn't want just part. He doesn't want a tithe of your life. He wants it all. And how many of y'all know he's worthy of it all and way more? So if, if, you are, if you are an unbeliever, you're here just kicking the tires, uh, maybe somebody invited you, you're not a Christian, you're not a Christian, but you're here, you're curious, whatever. This does not apply to you. Peter says... It's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Whoa. But today, people, you know, we're not to be judgmental. I know, we're, we should not have judgmental hearts. Because how many of y'all know, you can call out sin in someone. That's right, but if you do it in the wrong way, that's wrong. So you don't want to be judgmental. But it's time, Peter says, for judgment to begin in the house of God. Meaning there's a different standard for us than there, than there is for them. Are y'all with me? And by them, I hate that when you like to say them, us, them. Y'all understand between believers and unbelievers. Some of the older folks here, the wiser older people with gray hair or no hair, used to sing, I surrender. I'm not going to sing it because I'll grieve the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I surrender all. Y'all remember the song? I surrender all. Yeah. We, 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 we've sung that. And it's like, it's like I can hear God in the background and the angels in heaven singing back, we wish you would. I surrender all. Maybe one day you will. We, we, we act like we, we surrendered all. We lift holy hands on Sunday. We're all in. Lord, we're Christians. We're under your lordship on Sunday. But then Monday comes around. And how many of y'all know there can be a pretty big discrepancy for some of us? Like Ananias and Sapphira, Oftentimes we give some of our lives to him, but keep the rest to ourselves. Some of us, if we're honest, I'm not trying to be harsh. This is just the reality. Some of us, if we're honest, if we would be honest, we would admit that we are part-time Christians. My name is Pastor Scott, and I'm always your friend. And how many of y'all know that a part-time Christian cannot have victory over a full-time devil? So you're part-time at this thing. Some days, mm, discipleship group, mm, yeah, fired up for Jesus. 
but then the other parts of your week are devoted to living like the devil. Ooh. Peter said to them, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? See, if you're a part-time Christian, you know what you're doing? You're making room for the devil to speak. You see that? But when you go all in and you commit fully to him and you're held accountable and you're under the lordship of Christ, you're so close to Jesus, there's no room for the lies of the enemy. See that? So I don't want to be harsh to you, towards you. I want, I want you to have clarity. When, when you are a part-time Christian, the devil's going to see that crack in the door, kick it, that door open, and then lies... Lies, lies, lies. How many of y'all know? That's all he does. Like, that's Satan's full-time job. He lies. Like on his resume, I'm a liar. I'm the father of lies. Truthfully. And how many of y'all know? He masquerades as an angel of He looks good in many ways by what he brings. And on the outside and the external of what he promises. But on the inside, he's rotten to the core. And when we are part-time at this thing, we, have, we, we are inviting him in for his influence in our lives. And when we allow that, we, we begin to believe the lie. And if you believe the lie, then you'll live the lie. Am I preaching good to y'all? This is dangerous stuff, y'all. Listen to me. This is not enough here on Sunday to offset the nastiness of the world the rest of the week. Obedience here is a good start. But how many of y'all know we, gotta, we, we have to be, God, help me live by faith, by faith alone in you. And because, Lord, I trust your word and because I believe your promises, that is naturally going to produce fruit and works in my life. How many of y'all know we're not saved by our works. We are saved for good works. But we have to commit, Lord, I'm going to fall and I'm going to mess up. But, Lord, I'm, I'm following you. I'm sticking close to you so the enemy will have no room in my mind or my, in my heart as we make those distinctions. So it's this double life that the American church, not, not every church, but overall, because we're not always consistent about preaching on lordship and repentance. There's become an environment in the overall church where you can have your Sunday face and then your Monday through the rest of the week face. Your Sunday deeds and then your other deeds. It's like having your hands raised in church but being a handful at home. It's being a disciple at church, but acting like a devil at work. Jesus speaks of, and Isaiah spoke of, those who honored God with their lips, but their hearts were a hundred miles away. That's easy to do, isn't it? How many of y'all know we can honor him with our lips? But our hearts can be really far away. How many of y'all know it's all about the heart? And I've said it before, I have the gift of repeat. If God gets a hold of your heart, and he will, and when he does, when he changes your heart, you don't have to worry about your hands and your feet. They'll naturally follow that changed heart. God's not after your hands. He's not after saying, stop, stop. Yeah, you should stop. You should repent, turn it. But, but ultimately, God's about the heart. 
And when he gets your heart, your body, your mind, all of you, all that you are, will follow. We don't know the whole story about Ananias and Sapphira. I think it's safe to assume their hearts were wrong. Their hearts were prideful. Their hearts were presumptuous because their hearts were filled with the lies of Satan. And we can fault them. It happens to us, for some of you, regularly. For all of us, it happens from time to time. Listen to me carefully. God doesn't want the person that you're pretending to be. He wants the person that you really are. With all the junk, with all the sin, with all the stupidity, with the dumb things we do. He just wants you. He's not impressed by who he pretended to be because he knows the real you and the real me of a very important truth that all of us can apply. That no matter who we are, no matter how divided we've been, when we get honest with God, He then becomes gracious toward us. When you humble yourself and you get honest with Him and, by the way, with one another, and say, you know, I'm, I'm done pretending. Here's something that, that, I, that I despise. It's when, 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 I, when I meet someone, I greet someone, and I ask them how they're doing. And actually, we have time to talk. And they tell me, I'm fine. In, in, in the old Baptist church I attended, another church, it was, they'd give me the brother stuff. Fine, brother. Fine, brother. And I knew the person wasn't fine. They didn't know that I knew the whole story. But somebody else called me when they should have called that person first. But I got wind. I sent them back to that person. They're in the big fight. There's all kind of issues happening in their life. They're in sin. And they're looking at me saying, fine, fine, fine. What have we done to create that type of culture in the church where we can't just be honest? I would rather somebody say, I'm awful. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible dad. I can't stop drinking. I'm awful. There. Honestly, I would rather somebody just be real with me than to put on this religious front like they're okay when they're not okay. Are y'all with me? Y'all hear my heart? What I'm saying is that it's okay to not be okay, but you just need to be honest about not being okay and drop the religious talk. This passage is hard. But in this, in our own lives, we see a lot of grace, don't we? Because every single Christian here, at times, you put on a front. Every one of you, and so have I. We've all done it. Oh, Pastor Scott, this passage is so hard. All oh, this death, I mean, listen to me. I know that God is a gracious and merciful God because the Bible tells me so, but so does my experience. Because, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. If the church were to return to the way it was in the book of Acts, if we had that today, how many of y'all know there would be a lot of dead people? Potentially. 
But how many of y'all know, we've, we've, we're all guilty of this at some level. How do you know God is merciful and gracious? Because you're still alive and breathing right now. Right now. He didn't kill you on the spot. And if he had, he would have been just. And they rolled you in the grave and you moved on with it. I'm just telling you the truth. It's my job to stand between God and you and tell you the truth. But the truth is God is full of love and he's full of grace and he's full of mercy. And the fact you have breath right now means that he has a plan for you. But it also means he has a message for you. Because you don't want to take advantage of the grace and the mercy of God. Because grace has increased. I can continue and say, by no means, don't do that. Paul says. But in conclusion, you know, I was, I was thinking about this story and Stanley Horton, a commentator on the book of Acts, he had a really good insight. He, he said, he said, it's almost like Ananias and Sapphira pretended, acted like they had given all when they'd only given some because there was something in them that wanted to measure up to Barnabas. He gave it all. So they're wanting to step up and measure up, play the part so that it will look like they did the same thing. And y'all, that, that's a trap. You know that? When you start comparing yourself to other people, that, that's a trap. When, when you start looking at your, your brothers and sisters that way and comparing yourself to one another. How many of y'all know, fundamentally, the issue here is that Ananias and Sapphira failed to truly believe the gospel. Because the, the gospel keeps you from becoming inflated or deflated. Are y'all with me? It tells you who you are. Even in your sin, it tells you who you are. You're bought with a price. It keeps you from becoming inflated or deflated, from going too low or too high. And it gets you to focus on Jesus, keeping your eyes on him instead of keeping up with the Joneses. Do you see that? So you don't need to measure up to your friends, to other believers. You don't need to decide, okay, I'm going to base my life in this way so I'll become what they are. No, you look to Jesus. You keep looking to him. He's the author and the perfecter of your faith. And the gospel changes you. The grace of the gospel transforms you so that you're then compelled to live holy. You're compelled to be generous. You're compelled. I, I can't help myself because the gospel's the great leveler, isn't it? It brings the lowly up and it brings the proud down to Jesus. The gospel changes us. The great failure here, friend and I, and Sapphira, was their failure to believe the gospel and to apply the gospel to their lives. Experience is one of the best teachers in life, but it doesn't have to be yours in the negative sense. We can learn, see the big picture. We all have blemishes, we all have defects and things we wanna hide. Aren't you glad God's got a, a big old filter and his name is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And he forgives us and he transforms us so that we will be conformed into the image of his son. Y'all, we're all in it together, aren't we? How many of y'all are thankful for the grace of God? How many of y'all are thankful to be alive and breathing today?